Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, um, joining via Zoom, is Kristen Reber. Or Reber, welcome to the podcast, and tell us how to say your last name correctly. No problem. It's Kristen Reber. All right, we're going to call you Kristen Reber the rest of the podcast. And um, <laughs> just to, we're going to talk about early release missionaries. Kristen is an early release missionary. That may be the vocabulary she uses. She has um, been on this road for 10 years. So she has a lot of life perspective since coming home from her mission. She has written a book. She hosts her own podcast where many early release missionaries have been on. And so part of this podcast is really for, it's really for Kristen to share her story, but connect you more of our listeners with her book and her podcast and the things that she's learned. Our joint hope, and we prayed before we started, is if you're an early release missionary or someone walking a slightly different missionary path, that the things that Kristen shares will be helpful for you. And if you're have someone in your life you love that's walking this road that you will hear things that will help you better support um, those missionaries. So is that okay for an introduction, Kristen? That's a great introduction. Thank you, Richard. And I may have mentioned um, she served in the Philippines. She'll tell us what mission. Um, She's married, mother with three kids. So I'll just turn it over to you, Kristen, to tell your story. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity to come on your podcast. I absolutely love it. I love what you're doing. I'm just really grateful for this opportunity. So I decided to serve a mission back in 2010, which of course, it seems like so long ago now, but um, I managed to serve for six months, three months in the MTC and three months in the field in the Philippines Iloilo mission. And I needed to come home early uh, after like eight weeks of battling um, a parasite. And that led me to two hospital stays, like multiple rounds of tests, then just five days in a third world country's hospital, um, and then another five days in that same hospital. But I remember feeling very confused about why I was going through this. I thought I was trying be a good missionary. And I figured that I must have messed up somehow or else the Lord would heal me and I would be able to continue on my mission. What happened after the second hospital stay was that they were finally able to assess or determine that I had two parasites and that I had contracted them pretty early on in my arrival in the Philippines, probably drank some bad water. And I was relieved that they figured out what was wrong and they gave me medicine and it cleared up the, well, rather it killed the parasites pretty quickly. However, one of the parasites was entamoeba histolytica, which means tissue cutter. And that parasite had wreaked havoc on my intestines for, I mean, goodness, eight to 12 weeks. And I really needed to go home in order to fully recover. Missionary work is just too demanding physically for me to, I mean, I I needed weeks to recover, really. And that would have slowed down the work dramatically. And so it ended up being my choice to go home. My mission president did put that back on me, which at the time I really didn't appreciate. I felt like if 
he just sent me home, then I could say, well, I had no choice in the matter. He sent me home. But because he put the decision back on me and I really had to pray and ponder this and read scriptures and doing everything I can to make sure I was doing the Lord's will, I had to make the decision to go home. And that felt worse to me. I was blessed that I was able to email my mom back and forth while I was trying to make this decision. I was staying in the mission home and he allowed me to email her back and forth. My mission president did. And um, I thought that was really kind of him. And she said, you know what, Kristen, no one's going to think less of you for coming home early. And that freed me to be able to come. But I still, even if others didn't think less of me, I thought less of myself. And I still wondered why this wasn't prevented. I had struggled a lot in the field emotionally as well. Um, Just the typical first three months of a mission, you know, just trying to get used to a new culture, a new language, and a new lifestyle, all kind of being thrown at me at once. And I'll admit there are times I just really didn't like being on a mission, but I was happy to be there at the same time, even though it was hard. And I knew if I kept going, I'd get there, I'd get used to it, and I'd be able to do the work. So I thought, well, Maybe that thinking is wrong. Maybe Heavenly Father knows something about me that I don't. And he allowed this parasite to come so that I would get sent home or choose to go home. And he just wouldn't have to deal with me being a missionary anymore. And, you know, I went home, flew home, a long, long trip home, but I made it, of course. And I remember feeling all the emotions, sad happy, relieved, angry, bitter, confused. Remember, I was just kind of crying on my bed shortly after coming home. And I was honorably released, but it didn't matter. I didn't feel like it was honorable. And my mom found me and I just told her everything that was on my mind and how upset I was, and how unfair it was that I had to make the decision and and just all of it and how frustrated I was. I just wanted to do the Lord's work so badly, but I, I couldn't. And she comforted me as best she could. But, you know, that was kind of the beginning of my own journey, my own road. Now, I did heal. I was seen by a doctor in the United States. And basically, it was just rest. The parasite had been killed. All that was left now was rest and healing And after a couple of weeks, I was really feeling a lot better. Even after just a couple of days, I remember I was feeling better and just was like, it was all for naught. I should have chosen to stay. I would have been able to finish my mission. There would be none of this shame coming home early. Um, I remember my ward was pretty kind to me. I was very lucky that way. I did get a few comments here and there like, are you sure you made the right decision? So obviously that was a terrible experience. You should have never gone. But for the most part, People were kind to me. Leaders were kind to me. It really was just my own self that I really had to battle, my own perception of early returned missionaries that I had to battle. As I went on this road, I remember just wishing so badly that somebody had written a book, just something. I'm I'm a reader, I'm a writer, I, I like the written word and It would have just been so comforting if there had been somebody who had written a book about going through this experience and who just somebody who knew all the things I was feeling and then could tell me, you're going to make it. It's going to be fine just to have that comfort. But back in 2011, when I came home, it didn't exist. 
And there's maybe a couple articles written, but I, I don't remember there being anything for me at that time. It was only 10 years ago. Now there's so much. But back then, I just, I had to walk it myself. Now, I had the choice to go back to my mission uh, or not, or back to a mission rather. But I remember just not wanting to do it. And I felt even more shame for not wanting to go back. My sister was also getting married soon. And I knew that if I went back, I wouldn't be able to see her get married. She'd be the first of my sisters to get married. I, I'm the oldest, but she found love at 19 years old. So good for her. But I remember pondering that. I talked to my stake president, who was also a good family friend of ours. I remember him counseling me a lot. I don't remember specifics of what was said, except for when I called him after I had visited the temple. And I said what I felt in the temple was that it was my choice and that the Lord would be pleased either way, that I could choose to go back and he would work with me on that, or I could choose to stay home and he would work with me there as well, that he knew my heart and it was going to be okay. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to go back to school. That's what I want. I don't really want to go back to a mission. I, I had had enough. It had been hard. While I was in the field, my companion and the sisters we were living with had gotten increasingly irritated with me and had also told me that if the Lord could use me, he would heal me and I would be able to stay. And that happened over and over again. And I really just remember not wanting to go back. I just didn't want to go back to that situation or experience. And there had been some other things that had gone on during my mission that, you know, I have since let go of and forgive and forget. My companion and I are friends on Facebook now, but we had had a bit of a hard time and I just didn't want to do it again. I also knew I'd probably be sent stateside. And I was like, you know what? I'd be willing to put up with all the trials of a mission if I could go somewhere cool and foreign. <laughs> but if I'm just going to go stateside, it's not worth it, <laughs> which is a total, you know, that's, of course, I don't feel that way anymore. But at 21 years old, that was my mindset. And I was like, I'd rather just go to school. I'm just, I'm done with this experience in my life. And I did. I went back to school. I moved on. I went back to BYU. Let's see. I just, I just went through the motions. I went, I, I didn't like meet a husband right away or anything like that. Like what everyone was expecting. They're like, well, you came home early so you could meet someone. And I was like, maybe, I don't know, but no, he and I did meet, but it was a couple years. Well, I don't know how long, I, I think it was about a year before we went on our first date. We knew who each other was, but I was actually waiting for somebody else kind of. And and then that guy came home and it didn't work out. And so then all of a sudden, like shortly thereafter, I noticed my husband or my husband to be. And I was like, how have I never noticed him before? And then things kind of took off. But that's another story in and of itself. During this time, I was, of course, in a singles ward. And so there was a lot of talk of missions. Uh, I remember just people would you know, stand around, swap mission stories. And I usually left when they were talking about those mission stories, it just, I call it PTSD, maybe. I just didn't want to remember. I wanted to forget that I had served a mission. And I continued on for a couple years. And soon I, I started, you know, saying, yeah, I served a mission. 
served a mission. Yeah. In the Philippines. When did you serve? Oh, 2010 through 2011. And because I was a sister, I could get away with that. Sometimes people would probe a little further, but usually they're like, oh, cool. Where in the Philippines? Elo, Elo. Oh, okay. Where's that? (laughs) And so on and so forth. Finally, though, I did start letting people know that I came home early. Not always, but occasionally I said, you know, I served for six months because I think what prompted that was they wanted me to speak Tagalog and I really couldn't. I hadn't been there long enough or Ilongo was actually the language I was supposed to learn, but uh, I was going to learn that one in the field because they didn't teach it in the MTC at the time. And so I had to explain that I came home early, so I don't know. And what surprised me the most when I let people know that I came home early and I was very blessed this way, or very fortunate, I should say, this way, people were kind to me when I let them know I came home early. And that surprised me. I had had this perception, and it was probably my my own perception as well, that people did not look kindly upon people who came home early, that there was something that went wrong, something that the Lord was displeased with, and that it was something to be ashamed of. But everyone just said, that sounds really rough. Or, oh, I know somebody who came home early. Sometimes they asked what happened, and I would just tell them I got sick with a parasite. They were very kind to me about that. I reassured them I'm all better now. No no lasting effects. And um, life continued to go on. Eventually, people learned that I came home early. Just we moved my husband and I to Washington and I had a friend whose sister was coming home early and I said, oh, hey, you know, that's rough. Why is she coming home early? Mental health reasons. Okay. Yeah. It's really, really hard to come home early. And she said, how do you know? And I'm like, because I came home early and I began talking to people and I began sharing my experience more. I began sharing it online. I began writing articles about it. Never published anything in the Ensign about it, although I did publish other articles at that time. Just again, I'm a writer. And I began thinking about that book again, that book that I had wanted so much when I came home early. I tried writing a book called uh, My Six-Month Mission, but it was rejected uh, by Deseret Book, but no hard feelings because it was a memoir of my mission. And memoirs, it's hard to sell memoirs, all right? I'm not famous. And they also, the editor told me it was kind of a taboo topic and they weren't sure how well it would sell. I said, that's all right, because I really wasn't ready at that time to be known as the girl who came home early, or at least that's what I thought I would be known as. And I just continued with my life. I had two kids. And shortly after my second baby was born, I was kind of trying to refine myself. You know, motherhood is wonderful, but you, you start to lose yourself sometimes taking care of little kids all day. You don't really have time for yourself at all. And this opportunity came to work for LDS PMA or Latter-day Saint Publishing and Media Association as their operations manager. They said it would be 10 to 15 hours a month, which I was like, I can manage that. I can do that. And so I applied for the job and I got it. And I then went to their conference. They hold an annual fall conference every year. And just to kind of get more of a feel for them. So I flew down to Utah. And while there, I met somebody who was an acquisitions editor for Cedar Fort. And I remember it was just during lunch. And I had this prompting, really strong prompting, actually, to pitch my 
book idea to her. I didn't even know. I remember, I didn't even know what exactly I wanted the book to be. But as I opened my mouth, all these ideas came to mind. I told her it needs to be a resource book. It needs to be for people who come home early for any reason. Not just my reason, physical health, but mental health, worthiness, family troubles, personal reasons, loss of testimony. It needs to be for people who have left the church but are thinking about coming back. And it needs to be for parents and leaders. And I want a chapter in there about culture, our our culture, and why this is even a thing in our church culture. Well, she loved it. And I was on the phone with an editor the next week from Cedar Fort saying, you need to submit this. We want this book. And so I came up with a proposal, came up with a marketing plan, did all the things you need to do to publish a book. And within a month, I had a contract to publish the book with them, but I had to give it to them in six months. And I was like, that's really fast. I've got two kids. That's it. I was like, no, I need like two years to write this book, to have it be at the level I want it to be, quality that I want it to be. It needs to help people. I'm no, by no means an expert on this subject. I just have my own experience. Well, they said they wanted it. They gave me like an extra month. And I was like, okay, thank you. I'm a first-time author. I have no negotiating powers here. Let's do this. And my evenings and weekends, bless my husband. He, <laughs> I mean, parenting is a joint effort, of course, but all my weekends, all my evenings were spent interviewing people, were spent talking to uh, Dr. Chris Doty Yells, who has done a ton of research on early returned missionaries. And this was back in 2017 and then in the early part of 2018 as well. And I interviewed people. I just got to know this topic so well. I researched heavily for three months. Then I wrote the book in six weeks. And then I edited for the rest of the time with my editors. And then the book was published in August of 2018. It's called Early Homecoming. It's a resource for early returned missionaries, their church leaders, and family members. And my world hasn't been the same since. It's been a wonderful journey for me. And the best part of this journey is the absolute change of heart that's come over me by listening to people's stories. As I had pondered this book over the years, I thought, well, it'll be for those who return home early for mental health reasons, physical health reasons, maybe some family reasons too, but not for those who come home for worthiness issues because, you know, they deserve to feel that shame, which I, I even just even saying that out loud now, I shudder and I, I revolt at that because that's simply not true. People who come home for worthiness issues, I think there's a great, the greatest stigma against them. They are some of the most Christ-like people I have ever talked to. They know the atonement better than anyone because they owned it. People who come home early for worthiness issues are some of the bravest people I in the world because they know the stigma attached to coming home early and they also know the stigma attached to sinning. And their sin is now very public because most of them actually own it when they come home early for worthiness reasons, whether it be belated confession or um, messing up in the field. They will say, I'm here because I messed up and I could use your help. And then it's up to the other person whether or not 
you know, they extend that love and fellowship and help or not, but they own it. And they say, oftentimes, you know, they, they revert back to old sins. They have, they go through this, this process, not all the time, but they definitely go through a repentance process where they forsake the sin. And, and oftentimes that does come with a relapse of some sort into the old sin. I'm not sure why that happens, nor do they, but they get it. They get how hard it is to repent. And they, as soon as they come out of that trial, are there for others and they're happy to share their story. Mental health is another big one. I, I, most of the people I talk to come home for mental health reasons. And they're so brokenhearted that no one thinks their problem is real. Because it can't be seen. They often lie and say that they came home for physical health reasons. They had a hurt knee or a hurt back or something. Because, you know, physical and mental problems often go hand in hand. So they tend to blame the physical problem that manifested due to the mental health issue. But when they come on into my podcast and talk to me, I love that my podcast is a place where people feel like they can be vulnerable, that they can let their walls down and talk about what really happened and how they really feel and their real feelings towards God, their real feelings towards their church leaders, companion, parents, whatever it may be. And I think it's just a place for healing. And the podcast started shortly after I published my book. I, I was honestly looking for a better way to market my book. And then I had the thought to start a podcast, which was funny because I really didn't even listen to podcasts at the time. But I dove into this world and here I am. And I think the podcast is more popular than the book, honestly. But that's my story, Richard. That, that's where I'm at. <laughs> It's a great story, Kristen, and um, there's so many things that story that are just remarkable and wonderful, and your insights are so helpful. Tell our listeners the name of your podcast. It's, called, it's also called Early Homecoming, okay. uh, Insights for Missionaries Who Returned Home Early, because I don't like early returned missionaries, actually. I know that that's the vernacular, and uh, Richard actually recently came on my podcast and we talked about that, how uh, neither of us really like early release or early returned missionary. Just, just call them missionaries. That's what Elder Holland says too, actually. He did a face-to-face with someone in 2016, actually not with, just with someone, but with many someones back in 2016. And he said that he was talking to somebody who actually who'd come home early for mental health. And he said to consider themselves a missionary. And I, I don't want to say anything else because I don't want to misquote him, but I would encourage anyone who's struggling, please go look up that face-to-face he did. Just 2016, Elder Holland, face-to-face, early return missionaries. And you can hear an apostle's words on this subject. He does say it's his own opinion. It's not the doctrine of the church, but he says it with love. And it's amazing if you're struggling. I, I encourage you to go listen to that. I really like what Elder Holland said and to me. Um, you know, you're a return missionary, um, and there's no qualifiers there, you, Kristen, or any others. And um, to become a return missionary isn't time-related, it's heart-related and desire-related and wanting to do your best. And I guess it's appropriate at times to talk about the road that early release missionaries walk like you're doing, because it is a unique road. And so I think it's fine, you know, to have labels for groups of people that sometimes then kind can find community with others walking that road. 
as long as people get a chance to say that label's okay with me, you know, Mm -hmm. if they're not comfortable being labeled as an early release missionary or taking on that, in any situation, we shouldn't label that. But if that helps them at times. um, With that said, I want to go way back. I took some notes at the beginning. And I want to talk about this idea, why was this not prevented? And just to give context, here you are, you you know, you got your call to the Philippines. You've probably been planning on a mission for a long time. The ramp up to go on a mission is pretty intense. Mission prep, um, farewells, clothes buying. You know, it's not like just it's. And then you get to the Philippines and you and you get physically sick. And the logical side of my brain is probably the same side of your brain. Says, well, but why? There's people here in the Philippines that need to hear the restored gospel. You are God. You have the power to keep me from getting sick. Why am I sick and why am I not being healed and and needing to go home? Do you want to talk about how you ever reconciled that? Yes, absolutely. That's a very common question for early returned missionaries, especially those with physical or mental health issues. Why? Why, God? Why? And it's a fair question, and it can cause a lot of anger and hurt. And You feel betrayed by God, even. Or you look inward and think, like I did, that there's something wrong with you. What I have learned is that the church, being a member of the church, being a missionary, having a a calling, it, it doesn't prevent you from pain. It doesn't prevent you from suffering. It doesn't prevent you from trials. And they come no matter what wonderful things you are doing in your life. What's great about our church is that the Book of Mormon, the Bible, the history of our church teaches in great detail about how to cope with pain and loss and suffering. Even the faithful, especially the faithful, even get tried this way. That's one way. The other way, though, too, is that I 100% believe that if God wanted me to continue serving my mission, he wouldn't have allowed those parasites to wreak havoc on my body. But he knew there was something to be learned from this. There was something I could learn and perhaps something that others could learn from this. And our whole point on being on this earth is to learn. And he also, I think, needed me to learn how to make my own decisions. I'm pretty good at making decisions, or at least I have become so. But with things that are kind of big, like a mission, and actually uh, my decision to serve a mission was something I went back and forth on a lot. I just wanted God to tell me. And he kept saying, fine, either way, fine, either way. (laughs) And so I had to choose. I had to choose. And that's been a consistent pattern in my life, actually. But He knew I needed to learn to love others who were different than me. I think that's another thing he knew. I also maybe had too high of an opinion of myself. And if I had been healed, I would have thought, well, see, I'm an awesome missionary. Therefore, I got healed and now I can continue the work. Whereas those who come home early, they just weren't worthy. I would have stayed in that same stigma. So that is why I think for me, he allowed me to come home early. And it was my decision. Again, I I think perhaps I could have stayed. 
And that's, that's all I can really attest as to why he didn't heal me. I'm sure there's more reasons, but I, I don't know his mind and things kind of get revealed to me little by little. I also think he knew that I'm the type who can overcome these types of things. It, it takes time. It took me years uh, before the pain of coming home early stopped, but I was willing to turn this into something for his good and for his children's good. And he could use that. He could use me. And I'm grateful he did. And I, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. <laughs> That's a great answer. And I, I think sometimes we have the prosperity gospel that if we're doing everything right, that everything's going to click for us financially, mentally, physically. And here you are in the Philippines consecrating everything. You've gone to the temple and made those covenants. And you've sort of laid it all on the line. And then to have this happen, I love your answer, is that really difficult things happen when we're serving. And we still serve and we still do our best, but it's not like mortality isn't this lockstep formula that if we do these eight things on a checklist, then these eight things are going to come into our lives with blessings. We know we're going to get blessed, but we may not know exactly how that's going to work. And if we have the formula that I described, which I'd the prosperity gospel, everything works. If we're then when things don't work, then we think it's us and we think, okay, there's some, there's a checklist I missed or I missed prayer in the sixth grade for six months. So that's why I'm not being healed. And we go through this self loathing and over self analyzing that can be destructive. And that's where I think Satan can start to win is when we look inward. Cause if we all look inward in a negative way, overanalyzing way, that can get us in a pretty dark spot pretty quickly. So I just think we do our best, but we recognize that mortality is sometimes really brutal and really unfair. And mm -hmm. why you got that parasite and why another sister missionary didn't is a great question, but I love it's sort of not what if, but what now. And when you took that experience and of and I'd say you're still on your mission because you are doing things right now um, worldwide in our church that would not be possible. And maybe if Heavenly Father could have taken you to a high mountain in the Philippines, if there are, there are mountains in the Philippines, and sort of given you the 40,000 foot level of what's happening right now and what allows you to do, you would have gone, oh, I get it. Um, and so that's why I love your story is because in the middle of the pain, I actually also really love the, I'm not a, English major, I think these are verbs, anger, bitter, confused, or they're adjectives. What are they, Kristen? Are, are those adjectives? Yeah, those are adjectives. Okay. Mm -hmm. I got really bad ACT test score listeners, especially <laughs> in my English. It's like in the low teens. Math saved me with my career. But anyway, um, I've learned that those are pretty normal human emotions, and that is not a sign of a spiritual weakness or lack of faith to be angry, bitter, confused. Um, that's often a secondary emotion to pain. And, and, and if we give people space to feel those emotions, often then they can get through those emotions. And so you've become a safe place with your book and your podcast and that heals people and gives them hope. Um, do you think if you could have met with Heavenly Father the night you were set apart, I'm just, let's just say, I assume your stake presence sets you apart, remember the stake presidency, and then a knock at the door happened, 
Um, uh, do you think Heavenly Father was surprised what happened in the Philippines, or do you think he kind of always knew this is what would happen? Oh, great question. And I wonder that too, how much he knows what's going to happen. I mean, he knows the end from the beginning, doesn't he? But sometimes I wonder, you know, with agency, if he just kind of follows us where we go, even though he somehow knows where we're going to end up. I, I don't know. I think because it was always my choice, I don't know that he was surprised because he knows me better than anyone. Did he know I was going to get that parasite? Did he know I was going to drink that bad water? He might have. You know, I do think he knew that this was going to happen, but I think he was watching to see how I would handle it, how I would go about this journey, this trial of of coming home early and, and what I would do with it. That's that's my gut feeling. It's a great answer. And um, I don't know the answer to that either, but I have to think that in the his his eternal perspective and knowing you just like you just said, that somehow he knew this would be part of your journey and he knew you could handle it. And he knew then it would give you added tools to bless other people's lives in a real authentic way. I, I talk a lot about the wounded healer on the podcast listeners. You've heard me quote that about every other podcast, but it's the idea that, you know, this desert of being an early release missionary and you can, authentic, the, the, a true leader sort of knows these deserts and can walk people out of them because he, he or she's been there. And so that's who you are. It's not theoretical for you. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's real. But then you're able to sort of connect with people in other deserts that may not be exactly your desert, where you just get it. Oh, yeah. And you don't have a platitude is where I give just a simple answer that dismisses the complexity of somebody's situation. But since you've been in a really complex situation, you're less likely to give a platitude and you're, and you're more likely to sort of quickly understand the scope of what somebody's opening up to you with. So you can kind of walk with them. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. And in fact, this trial of coming home early served me very, very well a couple years ago when I was going through the hardest trial of my life. Um, A loved one was suffering a very severe addiction and just trying to help that loved one as well as um, trying to help myself because in the course of this person's addiction, I had been hurt as well. And so just the emotional trauma of going through that, trying to heal trying to work with this person, trying to decide if this person's going to stay in my life or not, helping my family member, my loved one heal, while also trying to go uh, heal from my own trauma. And so having that balance of distance and love and just where are you, God? Like, I remember that was just so, so hard. And it's yet another thing I've made it through. But I remember going through it, I said to myself, you have been through a really hard trial before and you made it through that and you came out better for it. And in fact, you were able to help people, many people. Perhaps it'll be the same with this one. And had I not gone through coming home early before I uh, went through this other terrible trial, I don't know that I would have handled it as well. (laughs) I, I kind of had developed some skills thanks to going through my early homecoming that allowed me to talk to my savior and my father in heaven 
very openly, very freely, and I knew how to hear the voice of the spirit. I, I had gained those skills by going through this trial. And, and that's something I, I tell my listeners is that this trial will pass, but the nature of life is that there will be other trials and you will grow from this trial. You will be able to not only help others, but you will be able to help yourself down the road for having gone through this. Um, if you choose to let God in and partner with him. I understand you might be angry with him. You know what? Tell him. He already knows. Like, pray. Just let him know. Talk about the principle that you got to decide if you came home. Um, and if that was the right thing, or you actually wish that um, a leader that has priesthood keys in that situation sort of assessed all the facts and made that decision. Mm-hmm. I I still wonder about that, actually, with my particular situation. It seems pretty clear to me that I should have gone home. I'm not sure why my mission president decided to have me make that decision. I do know that there were other missionaries in my mission who were going home early for various reasons. And at the time, I thought, you know, he just probably just doesn't want another missionary on his record. He just doesn't want to send me home. And perhaps that was true. Or perhaps he felt inspired. What I think leaders need to do with that is, and I've never been in this position before, so I don't know how hard it would be, but I think the best thing a leader can do is to just have compassion, have compassion on the missionary, try to be where they are at. Of course, try to listen to the spirit, but just instead of feeling frustrated, which I think is just so natural to feel, especially if many missionaries have been going home early. Um, on on your watch, as as you might say. Still, this each missionary who comes home early, it's their own experience. It's so individual. Every missionary I've ever talked to, their story is similar in some ways, but more that stands out to me is how different they are and how each road, each journey is so personalized to that missionary. And so please just try to have that compassion. And if you feel like you just need to put this poor missionary out of his or her misery and send them home, release them from that decision, then please do so. But if you feel like for whatever reason, it needs to be their call. I have talked to many other missionaries who were very grateful that their mission president let them make that call and others who were very bitter when the mission president made that call for them. And so while I might have been grateful for it, that's not necessarily the case for everyone. So it's, it's hard. And I have great compassion for leaders as well, because while there's some bad eggs out there, I think most leaders try really hard to do right by their missionaries, mission presidents, stake presidents, bishops. They, they really try hard and they really want to help. And if you just continue to have that desire to help and to listen and to, to listen, learn and love... I think God can work through you to help that missionary. I like that. that. It does. And I, I just think every situation is different. Like Kristen is sharing with us. I know as a singles word Bishop, I rarely made decisions for the YSAs and this is a different context. If they'd come in and say, where should I go to college? Or these are my two options or should I continue to date so-and-so or 
I usually tried to lay down principles so that someone could make an, the very best decision they could versus making that decision for them. Because I always felt personal revelation from a doctrinal standpoint came better through them directly to them. And my role was more an advisor. And it also felt from a pragmatic standpoint that they owned their decision and they wouldn't go back and say, well, it was the bishop that said I should go to college or the bishop said I should stop dating so-and-so or start dating so-and-so. And I was always uncomfortable sort of being in that situation. But in a situation, I think there's times where a priesthood leader or a parent um, does need to make a decision for somebody. I remember um, being grateful because the culture back in my day serving missions was you extended if you were really a good missionary and you'd come back in your homecoming talk. This is the 1980s. And I remember in the 70s in my ward growing up, a lot of the really good missionaries, part of their homecoming talk would be mentioned that they extended. And I sort of picked up that that's what really good missionaries do. So of course I was planning on extending and my mission president took that option off the table for me. He said, you are coming home on your release date. And I was glad he made that decision for me. I was relieved that I didn't need to extend to be um, whatever I had created in my mind. And so I just think a nuance and, and that Kristen's sharing is helpful. Um, but we do value personal revelation, but I think there's situations, especially in a medical situation, and there's so much maybe cultural headwind to stay on a mission that perhaps um, that's where a priesthood leader can step in and say, you know, this, these are the facts, the situation, I'm taking this decision off of your plate and making it for you. Um, but I just like that you're sharing stories so that we can just better understand. Now, one thing you said, you had created a lot of empathy that didn't exist at the beginning of your experience, but then you had, you just said all these wonderful things about missionaries that came home um, because of a belated confession or an infield mess up. And I just want to, you know, my thought is we as Latter-day Saints shouldn't be trying to figure out the backstory of why someone came home. And I know Kristen teaches that and um, I know we all, both of us understand, and many of you do, that if you come home for a medical reason, people sort of get that. But if you come home because you didn't confess or you messed up, then that's sort of the worst reason to come home, as Kristen talked about. And your sin, as Kristen said earlier, is public. And there's so much shame and self-loathing. And I just think to help people feel welcome in a sense of belonging, we just welcome as missionaries like Elder Holland taught. And it's none of our business why they came home. And we shouldn't try to figure out the backstory because that just takes our mental energy and prevents us from lifting their burden and helping them feel welcome. So, right. And it, it doesn't matter either. Uh, those who I've talked to who came home early for worthiness issues, I, I only found out one person and out of the many I've spoken to the whole story. And it really, honestly, even looking back on that one, it really didn't matter. What matters when I talk to them is the principles of what they learn, because it can be applied to all of us, really. We all sin. We all need that help. And yeah, so so yeah, exactly what you're saying. It, it doesn't really matter. Just love them. Be there for them. Will you talk to missionaries that are listening that are thinking of serving a mission but are worried that they're going to end up coming home early? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I still encourage people to serve missions. I don't let fear, the fear of coming home early 
control that decision. If you feel that desire to serve, it's truly your decision. I, I, do, I don't really like it when people say, well, it was expected of me. I, I get that. But at the same time, if it's really your decision and you want that for yourself, go for it. You might come home early. Sometimes things happen that are beyond your control, whether it be depression suddenly hits you or a physical illness like mine, or you mess up. You know, we all mess up or something happens with your family or something. You just no longer want to be there and you just make that decision to go home. Those are realities. But the thing is, life is so nuanced. If we, we came here to experience things, to try things, to be tested, to explore, to learn, to grow. Missions are wonderful opportunities to do that. And odds are you won't come home early. About only 6% of those who serve a mission come home early. At least that's the statistic that I had last, as in 2018. It may have gone up, it may have gone down since then. COVID has probably thrown off that statistic a bit as well. However, odds are good that you're going to be able to stay the whole time. I love that. And I would generally encourage missionaries that you know want to serve to serve and and not look at it as if you end up coming home early, that somehow you're worse off than if you had never served in the first place, that that experience like Kristen had um, has helped you. And and I think Kristen makes a point that 90 plus percent do finish. And some, you know, I don't even want to use the word not finish, but have a different experience. But I don't wouldn't look at that as then a step backwards or makes you a second-class Latter-day Saint. Just still recognize the sacrifice you made to serve in the first place and what you've done. And so I, I like what you're teaching there. Now, I want to go to the plane ride. You're, you're coming home from the Philippines, um, or maybe even later when you concluded. I love where you just owned your story and said, I want to go to school. What a great thing. I mean, I just love that you didn't have to, in your story, you didn't come up with a lot of excuses of why you didn't come back. You just said, I want to go to school. And you just owned what you felt was right for you. And I just love that. Um, and you didn't, you weren't defensive. You didn't sort of feel like that's a cop out. You just said, I want to go to school. And now I'm healthy and I theoretically could go to the States. And um, But you said, I want to go to school. And I think that's the way personal revelation, you receive personal revelation to serve a mission. And then at some point, you know, with that experience, um, where you were, you received, I wouldn't call it, I guess I'd call it new personal revelation. It's just the way personal revelation works that now I want to go to school. And those don't conflict with each other. You know this, Kristen, but even though some might say, well, a year ago you said you were going on a mission and now you're receiving personal revelation to go to school. I would, say, I would hold both of those as true personal revelation. And we shouldn't, you know, my ability to get personal revelation just shouldn't judge somebody else's personal revelation. I should just support them. But this is a long lead in to your husband. You're married. Oh, yes. um, did you worry that your husband, you know, as you opened up to him about this experience, would not want to date you and and how does he actually look at this as um part of the reason that he fell in love with you well yeah i definitely was worried about that i was worried about what many people would think about me and not want to be my friend even if i'd let them know that i came home early much less marry me i, I don't remember exactly when i let him know 
I do think it was pretty early on. I think it was just one of those like getting to know you questions. Did you serve a mission? How long? I don't think it was the first date, but I think it was a couple dates in and I let him know. And and I actually kind of was like, and I want to do something about the Philippines infrastructure and get them clean water. I, I really wanted to do that. I remember, even though I, I'm not an engineer and I, I don't even know how I would go about it. You have to do a complete overhaul of the infrastructure in the Philippines to get clean water running through their pipes. But he was very intrigued by that. And he wasn't bothered in the least that I came home early from my mission. He had not come home early from his mission, but he remembers struggling and, and uh, with depression about, it just hit him about a year into his mission. He'd been fine up to that point, but then it kind of hit him and he was able to serve the rest, but he's often wondered if maybe he should have gone home and gotten the help he needed as depression continued to plague him for some time afterwards. But anyways, he just listened with compassion. I remember being really impressed by that. He was on board with, you know, wanting to get clean water to the Philippines. Obviously, our lives have diverged from that dream. Maybe they'll come back. And I do know other people are working on that, though. So that that lets me rest a little bit. But um, let's see. I like It that. really wasn't a big deal. <laughs> I'm just thinking back. <laughs> I like that. And I like the way he was not in this checklist mentality that I'm going to, because I was when I was dating him. I had this checklist, listeners, of all these things I wanted my wife, and I recognized that at times was keeping me from the very person that God wanted me to marry, the Christ-like attributes that she ended up having. She didn't have all the checklists. She's the woman I married, um, been married 30 years, did not serve a mission. And I always thought I wanted to marry a return missionary, but then I dated enough women that didn't serve missions and saw that they had the attributes I was looking for that I thought, well, that's stupid. Um, to get so I got out of the checklist and sort of got into the heart of yes. who I was dating and looking their Christ-like attributes, their gifts, their contributions, their heart, their compassion. And so I think that's part of improving the culture is getting out of the checklist mentality that I certainly maybe sometimes am in still. But then I probably would guess you and your husband as you were dating, you were just able to be more vulnerable and honest because he felt like a safe person for you and not overly judgmental and just listened about your mission experience. And it probably I've seen in relationships that vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And he's able to share with you about sounds like some choppy times in his mission. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that. Um, and I, I think this, you know, if you could come on the podcast 20 years from now and you've got adult children, this is probably happening with you already. I think this experience on your mission gives you better parenting skills. I think there'll be some times when your teenage kids, and maybe, I don't think you've got any teenagers yet, but um, mom will just get it. Um, And I think you will recognize you kind of get it and just have better tools because of this experience that happened in the Philippines and all the work you've done since then. And it's just given you tools. And I know you're nodding your head on the Zoom listeners, so that's resonating with you. It, it is. It's been really interesting. I got my oldest is six and it's girl, but I do have a son and he just turned four. And I, I sometimes what just come to my mind, like he might serve a mission someday, but I love that there's that might there. Um, I too had a checklist with my husband and well, he checked the box of being a returned missionary, but honestly, after my experience, it really didn't matter anymore whether or not he was just because I mean, missionaries 
are awesome, but there are some weird ones out there and it's okay. They're humans. They're, they're people. We put them on a pedestal, but they really are just people, but they're doing the Lord's work and it's awesome. But anyway, sometimes I'll look at my son and be like, he might serve a mission, but he also might not. And I want that to be his choice. I don't want to put any pressure on him saying, are you saving for your mission or whatever? We'll talk about missions. I mean, it's just, it's just going to come up as he, as he grows. But I definitely want that to be his choice. One thing I have learned through this experience is that the Lord does want us to own our decisions. He doesn't want us doing things because it's expected or, you know, required. Like he really values agency. And there are certain things that he requires for our eternal progression, but it's not required that we do those things for his love. And that's, will you say that again? That was really powerful. Yeah, it. So there are things that are required for us to reach certain levels of exaltation, but there's no, but those things are not required for his love. I think I said it better the first time. You did just great. That's a great comment. Thank you. And so that's what I've taken away as a parent, not only with missions, but just people are going to, my kids are going to go through things. and sometimes of their own making, sometimes not. Sometimes just life will hit them. But yeah, thanks to this experience and other trials I've gone through and that my husband has gone through as well, I think we're going to be pretty well equipped to help them. I'm sure there's things that we will do poorly, but hopefully, my goodness, I hope God just picks up our slack in those cases. That's great. Well, it's been great visiting with you, Kristen. Um, Reber, R-E-B-E-R. Will you, in closing, just um, tell our listeners the name of your book and how to find you? Um, I know you've got a Facebook um, public page, I believe. You've got an Instagram. You've got a website. And just so kind of go through everything you want to share with our listeners on how to find you. Yeah, my book is called Early Homecoming. And you can find it on Amazon. You can find it at Deseret Book, Siegel Book, BYU Bookstore. yeah, just the major LDS retailers, as well as I, I would go to Amazon after that. Um, it might also still be at Barnes and Noble. And then my podcast is also called Early Homecoming. And you can even find it by just going to earlyhomecoming.com. Or if you feel brave and want to spell my name out, kristenreber.com, it'll direct you to the same place. That's great. So, Kristen Reber, thank you for being on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.